0: In the market, as well as in life, it's not the product, which is the best, which gets sold the most, but it's the best promoted product, which gets sold the most. Marketing is using impressions and symbols to associate our identities and desires with certain brands and products. With what we eat and wear, with all the choices we make, we show the world who we are and where we belong. Because usually, our deepest desire is not to really own a certain watch or pair of sneakers, but rather the image and life that it represents. So, what we are trying to fulfill by buying certain products is our need to belong and to be seen in the way we want to be seen. Hello and welcome to this third episode of letter Talks. Together with Kurt van Ittesum, we will explore the influence marketing has and could have on our well-being and the choices we make. Aletta Talks is the research podcast of the Aletta Jakob School of Public Health. My name is Leonie van Ristock. So thank you very much for being here. Um, I wanted to ask you first if you could introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about um, what you're doing.
1: Okay, um, thank you very much. My name is Kurt van Ittersen. I'm a professor of marketing and consumer well-being uh, at the Faculty of Economics and Business. And prior to that, I spent 13 years in the U.S., And during my time in the U.S., I got really, really fascinated by food, healthiness, obesity. And so when I came to Groningen, uh, that became one of my most important research topics. uh, How to, from a marketing perspective, help consumers make healthier choices in their day-to-day activities.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, so I'm curious because you said you, you were living in the US for <laughs> quite some time and there you got interested in this topic. Yeah. What was there that made you interested? <laughs>
1: uh, at some point in time, when I moved to Atlanta, uh, my first well-paid job, and then basically in a matter of months, I gained about 20 pounds in uh, body weight. And uh, I came back f- Christmas that time and several people commented on that and then I already did some research in the in the domain but it really I got really fascinated so even though I know what is happening it happened to me a and b to getting it off oh man I couldn't believe how difficult it was and that's how it became sort of a trigger yeah for me at least to sort of continue studying this particular topic since then I really got like interested in okay what can be done uh, from different perspectives to sort of help consumers make healthier choices.
0: Right, so you said you know what, what's happening, so what what was happening? Why did you gain that weight? Well, <laughs> uh,
1: personal s- lack of self-control, uh, abundance of fast food in the neighborhood, uh, socializing during lunch, having basically a full warm dinner without you realizing, because there's fast food restaurants where you can just get some food uh, out of a buffet-style uh, restaurant. So you overconsume and only portion sizes in the U.S. are also considerably larger than around here. Uh, in fast food restaurants, you can get free refills, so you can basically sit down somewhere and drink cola for the for the rest of the afternoon if you want, and on and on and on. So it's a combination of things. So I'm not blaming my environment alone. It's also my own lack of, 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 of self-control, and so. But uh, to combine that with portion sizes, with availability, and yeah, my situation it became the perfect storm, so to speak. <laughs> uh, wasn't uh, wasn't really beneficial. Yeah.
0: All right, so um, obviously it's always a combination between yourself and the environment, but talking about the environment, like in what way do you think that it does influence um, in general people in their choices?
1: Um, yeah, I think two main things A is wh- what you see is what you think about sort of uh, sort of a thing as if it's in your face. Um, I'm just thinking if you drive in the interstate and you see a McDonald's sign, you may not have had any craving for food, but now you see a sign, you go like, oh, that's nice, we could do that. And then you go. And the other, other thing is that that is availability, like like you see, but it's, all, it's also everywhere. Yeah, and then combined with self-control. And sometimes uh, just a lack, a relative low availability of healthy alternatives. So it's a combination of things.
0: Right. And so how do you see... Um, the role
1: of marketing in this question? Oh, that's a good question. So um, the role of marketing is a, is always a tricky one. A lot of people think that marketing is sort of the root of all evil, that marketing is bad and bad for you. Um, and there's no denying that there are plenty of examples that marketing as a discipline, if you look in society, has done things that are not that pretty. And still, uh, there's, there's still some practices that companies uh, execute that, that may be uh, questionable or that are questionable. But at the same time, if you go back... I think marketing has also brought us a lot of us uh, of, uh, contribute to our wealth and and, our, and and how society basically evolved. But now we are at a point when you think about food, yeah, what can marketing do? And one hand, people say, well, marketing uh, only pushes unhealthy foods. Um, the number of uh, commercials and ads on foods, most of the vast majority is, is on unhealthy food, and that should be different. And then you get into go back sort of to the tension. Yes, marketing could do it differently. They probably could promote more healthy foods. But then the question is, is it going to land? Why is it that marketing focuses so much on, the health, on healthy food? There is a profitability argument. Let me be clear about that. Okay, the profit might be higher. But why is that? That may be partly the product, but also demand. So if you spend a lot of money on advertising healthy products that the demand is relatively low for... Then it becomes a sort of a trade of how do you spend your money? You want people to come to the store to spend their money on products. Uh, if the demand on average is high for unhealthy products, those seem to be the obvious candidates. Now, society is changing. I think we are in sort of a transition period. It becomes more clear that we need to do things different. Uh, so I, I do think that, and that's why I like my chair so much, I do think from a marketing perspective, uh, marketing as a discipline, I think can do a lot of things different to contribute to sort of a healthier society. But it also requires choices. Uh, I sometimes hear decisions that a government takes that, that I don't understand. Uh, or why does it take so long? Well, that, if things take long it generally is because there are a lot of other outcomes or people or organizations involved and, and they, they everybody, everybody makes, uh, um, yeah, tries to sort of either prevent it or, or reduce it or, or change it in any way. Yeah, that slows the process down. Yeah, and then you need a government that, that may need a bit more swift. And there is a risk that if things go too slow, that they basically die off and then nothing happens. And so in this case, I do think there is a role for the government to sort of take a firmer stand on certain uh, topics uh, in this uh, healthy food domain than what I currently see. Yeah.
0: Yeah, especially. I mean, of course, it's a complex, uh, um, a complex issue, and so there is not a a simple solution. But I'm thinking, um, if you think about the marketing, um, and and you think about that, people, uh, the demand also comes from what you see. And I mean, personally, also, I sometimes I'm just sitting on the couch and I don't even think about food. And then I see something tasty, or see someone eating, ah, or, ah. and then suddenly I feel like that. But if it wouldn't have been there, I wouldn't feel like it. So that has also a huge influence. So the demand also is driven, I think, by, by what you see and by the offers and by, marketing.
1: That is correct. Um, so two things. Um, based on what you just described, if I see it, I have a graving for it, that that would almost imply, like, let's stop doing marketing. Let's stop advertising, at least. And that's that's, that's not going to happen. And there's different reasons for that. Um, And you go back to the economic reasons. Uh, As maybe a a simple example, sometimes people suggest, well, maybe uh, in supermarkets, the candy should not be at the cash registers. Perfect. And then you talk a little further, and they say, well, Maybe put the candy at the back of the store. Well, it would even be better just to basically take it out of the store. Okay, I, I, could, I could definitely buy that argument. But if you follow that line of reasoning, why do you stop? If you take candy out, then, then there's no room for sugary drinks. There's no room for chips. There's no room for many, 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 many products. Then somebody said, well, maybe retailers should um, only sell products that are in the Schijf van Vijf, in the, in the food pyramid a supermarket cannot exist based on an assortment like that. Consumers, they, some consumers might go there and buy everything they need there, but the vast majority will maybe go there once, then they have to go to a different shop to buy all the stuff that they want. And they're going to do it once or twice. People are not going to shop around. And everything has been sort of brought together in the supermarket. And so disentangling there, that's not going to work. And I, so I, and I give this example to sort of argue that stopping with marketing goes against the economic viability of things. Now, so we have a demand, companies basically say the demand is, uh, the products are being offered and if you're gonna buy anyhow consumer, then buy it at our place. Now, second argument then could be okay, but then let's promote more healthier foods. Yeah, and then we go back to what we said earlier, we can do that. And if you have good products that people really, really enjoy, they will buy it. All things equal, that, that's ideally where you want to go through. All things equal, consumers have no need to buy unhealthy foods if there is a clear healthy replacement. The problem is that is not often not the case. So one example is Sprite. Yeah, Sprite, uh, back in the, uh, yeah, a few years back, sort of developed a sugar-free sugar-free version. They were both offered together in the marketplace, and people could not taste the difference between the sugar-free and the regular one, and people started buying sugar-free. Why would they buy the regular one if the sugar-free is equally good? Apparently, that went so well that, that currently the regular sugar-holding version is no longer available. And that's exceptional. I realize that. But people vote with a wallet. And if they get a choice, there's no reason to not pick the healthier version unless the taste is different, taste, the, the, the consumption experience is, is different, the price is higher. And so sometimes I wonder, eh, so if you develop a, a healthier alternative as a food manufacturer, if you offer a healthier alternative, what, you, what I at least think I see is that often the healthier version is priced a little higher than the regular one. Well, why not turn it
0: around? But why would you price a, the healthier version as more expensive? So uh, marketing is, um, yeah, because you said it, it's um, about your wallet and about choices, um, about taste, and mm-hmm. if it's the same, then they're going to make the healthier choice. I'm just wondering, because marketing is also about how you feel about something. It also sells your certain experience. Mm -hmm. So, would it be maybe also a possibility to just market healthy choices as more, I don't know, more enjoyable, more (laughs) uh, worth Uh craving, like more that you make it also a lifestyle that is... Cool or anything like that?
1: I, I think that is absolutely possible. And uh, the big question of course is, does it fit with what you've said in the past? As a, as a company or as a brand, you cannot switch things completely around, but I think you can. And for me, the, the, the maybe a silly example in this context, but it is Tony Cocoloni. And they sell really, really good chocolate and they could have stick to that, but they've said, no, we have a higher purpose. And so they made that higher purpose central to sort of their marketing and it works. But we also have to uh, be fair, at least that's my assessment, of my 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 um I, I really believe it. I don't think tony chocolate would have been this successful if the quality of the chocolate was not as good as it is. Yeah, so it's it, and it's somewhat the same with healthiness. Um people will stick to their preferences and will not switch if sort of the basic expectations are not met. And I think Tony Chocoloni, from a chocolate consumption experience, maybe more than met people's expectation, and then had a good story. And well, you see how that can work. Uh, I also do think that there's a um, that that it evolves across generations. So if I look at my children. Uh, The way they deal with food and their Uh, uh, health—some of of them have a little bit my uh, my problem as well—but on average, I think they do much better than I ever did. And that—that's not um, uh, that I was raised badly, but it was some—basically, yeah, that—that's what it was. I grew up when people were smoking cigarettes at a a birthday party, and the cigarettes were at the table. Oh, that that time is never going to go back, come back. And, And so I think the same will happen with food. It's a it's a slow transition, but we are moving in that transition. Um, it, it is changing, and I think it's changing for the better, uh, but we are part of a global network of economic productivity and economic consumption that I think it will be extremely difficult sort of uh, within the Netherlands alone to sort of dictate what we eat and what we don't eat and at what prices and stuff like that. I also don't think that's a Dutch culture, um, and what I said, <laughs> I think we've seen a little bit of that over the last two years uh, during the COVID pandemic, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's gonna require a collective effort.
0: Uh, so, to what extent do you think the food industry in general is is into that collective effort? <laughs>
1: um, yeah, it varies. I think some companies are really, really doing new things, different things, big companies. Yeah, I think long term, I think there's there are very few companies, if any, that will succeed in the far future if they stick to what they do right now and i think that's the sort of the, the the main conclusion that holds for healthiness i think there's very little room for companies to just stick to what they're doing and basically not do anything to support the healthy choice i think the same holds for sustainability and you see it at all levels you see that the, 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 the in, in the oil industry even shell is to the point like we, we we need to change and i think that, that i think in many ways that will hold for Many of these, these, these huge themes in society that, yeah, you can sort of stick your head in the ground, but ultimately it's going to catch up with you.
0: So from an economical and marketing point of view, what is the problem with the, with the obesity uh, and overweight pandemic?
1: <laughs> what is the problem with obesity from an economic perspective? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, we talked a little bit before that it's an extremely complex problem. And my own take on this is that we start with the individual. And individuals, people like you and me, who are interested in making healthier choices, uh, we tend to have a very difficult time making these healthy choices. And that's because of a lot of different elements. uh, That that depends on our own attitude, our own personalities. uh, But that of course also depends on the economic environment in which we live. So um, we do our grocery shopping in the supermarket we are influenced there on what we buy and what we don't buy. Uh, we go to school, and there may be a school canteen, there may be vending machines that also sort of influence influence us in what we buy. Uh, when we go to a restaurant, uh, the restaurant owner sort of decides on what is on the menu, the portion sizes, etc., etc. And so there are many locations where we acquire and consume food, and in many of these locations, we are influenced by the environment. Now, what you often hear is that Restaurant owners, uh, school canteens, or schools, uh, or retailers, sort of, should only offer healthy food to help consumers make healthy choices. Now, and that's uh, in, in, to some extent where economics come in. Uh, the concept of supermarkets was never developed to offer consumers healthy foods. It was about foods in general. Restaurants are not necessarily only there to feed us healthy foods. It's about the experience, about the taste, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so what you now see is sort of transition in society where there's a growing realization um, sort of what the impact of the environment is on our choice behavior. And with that transition, with that realization, you see a growing pressure on retailers, on schools, on restaurants, uh, on employees, uh, working canteens, um, to sort of change the offering and to help consumers make healthier choices uh, at uh, at at those specific locations. So that's sort of... The economics is about selling products, uh, employability, um, earning money, earning a profit on the one end, uh, and on the other end now with growing demand for healthier environments, there's also growing pressure. And you sort of see that retailers and, and, and many play, many people, many organizations sort of struggle with it uh, on how to best address this growing demand for healthy food.
0: All right, and so where's the struggle Uh, Exactly. So what they're struggling with.
1: Well, so what you sometimes hear is that um, a company or a university should stop selling unhealthy food and only offer healthy foods. Well, that's very easy said. Okay. We can all demand that from our university. We can demand it from our employer. um, However, then there's the consumer. You can take away the croquette. That's always a famous example. You can take away the croquette from the menu. Uh, The assumption then is that consumers will basically switch to a healthier item. However, consumers also want the croquette. And so I've heard stories of companies that basically wanted to eliminate croquette from the menu, for instance, and the employees uh, got really, really angry. And um, even one study, I wasn't involved in that, but somebody organized a study, and one of the companies who agreed to participate uh, on the day before the start of the project, basically stepped out of the project because they were concerned that uh, they were, in one of the study conditions where the croquette would be taken off the menu, the company got so concerned that the people, the workers would go on strike by taking the croquette off. And that's a very extreme example, I realize that. But I think it shows that there's always two sides of the sto- to the story and that uh, we have seen that also with the, the, the COVID pandemic that forcing people to do things against their will, you need very, very strong reasons. And for a COVID situation, when it becomes a matter of life and death for some people, then not even everybody complies. Uh, But when you then talk about food, it becomes a whole different animal because the negative consequences of unhealthy food consumption are way ahead in the future. And in the here and now, we just want to enjoy and and enjoy our coquette, for instance. So that's why you see a struggle. Everybody, a lot of people want I change the menu, healthier offerings. A lot of consumers also seek for it, uh, but only offering or eliminating products or increasing the price of unhealthy foods. So that's another, uh, we talk about sugar tax, fat tax, um, on, the other, on, the, on the one end, and then for instance, reducing or eliminating the taxes on uh, fruits and vegetables on the other end to sort of lower the price. But I'm not 100% convinced that that is the sort of the holy grail or the, the ultimate solution for everything.
0: What do you think is the ultimate solution?
1: <laughs> I don't think there is an ultimate solution. Yeah, my personal take on it is that it, it should be a collective effort and, and that we should all collaborate. That municipalities, retailers, restaurant owners, schools, uh, employers, that we are basically creating an environment where if you want to make healthy choices that that is supported at least. Uh, not having healthy foods available, I think that's a no-go. Uh, eliminating may be too strong. Um, But it also suggests everything needs to happen in the here and now, that today we're going to offer a healthy menu, i.e. the apple is there and the croquet is gone. Why? We are creatures of habit in many contexts. And if we feel that our choices are forced upon us, you run the risk that you get the exact opposite reaction that you are looking for.
0: Yeah, so that people out of... um objection and rebellion choose for, for the unhealthy versions, even it though they might be interested in, in the healthy ones. It happens. it happens.
1: It happens. It's called reactance. Uh, you, you sort of push people in one direction and they basically push back and go in the other. And so that's, that's sort of the tension that, you, that you'd have to deal with. Uh, and it also makes it extremely complex because you have to be very careful. And so many companies could um, reformulate their products reduced the amount of sugar, reduced the amount of salt, uh, all these kind of things. And all very valuable. But I've also heard stories that they did that and consumers started to complain. I talked to somebody at a big producing, uh, a soup producing company, and they basically said, yeah, we tried to reduce the amount of salt and we did it. And in no time, our, our most loyal customers were very angry with us because what did you do with the soup? It didn't taste the same. And then sales go down. And then you can say, well, that maybe is a good thing because then then they don't eat soup. But you also need to think about, uh, is that really the whole story? So you might see soup sales from your brand go down, but what do people instead? Do they actually stop eating soup? Or are they buying another soup that has still a lot of salt in it? Or are they moving to a product category that is also unhealthy? And so just looking at the individual product to see if a health intervention has a positive or negative impact is not enough, because we, we don't... Uh, now you might be able to change the healthiness of purchases of one product, but there might be negative consequences uh, to subsequent purchases, for instance. And on the other hand, I think you need to uh, give, for instance, uh, different parties the instruments to do things. And I think a nice example is uh, municipalities. There's been in the news over the last couple of weeks the municipalities have very little means to sort of prevent a fast food chain or or snack bar to open up a shop somewhere there's virtually nothing they can do about that and that is of course weird if you see what the the, the number of fast food restaurants that that are already uh, present in most uh, inner cities then, and then why not regulate it? Why not offer at least the municipalities some some instruments that allow them to sort of say no enough is enough we don't need more of these. we may want other types of, uh, of restaurants or other types of shops or whatever. So it's um, yeah, it's a collective effort. I really believe in that.
0: To what extent do you think or know that the food industry um, has an influence on policy and politics and
1: they do. Um, sometimes directly. Uh, so I think with the Prevency Accord for, of a few years back, um, some of the companies were invited to sit at the table. Um, yeah, some people said that really slowed things down, that really watered sort of the, 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 the ultimate deal down. Um, and then there's of course the, um, the lobbying that happens. And lobbying happens and, and you can deny it or not, but um, people are being influenced. And they are looking in that regard, looking in also, uh, yeah, uh, t- t- they're looking out for their own uh, companies, uh, the economic consequences of. And then, of course, that, that's that's a tricky one because on the one hand, you see there's these kind of developments that they are actively influencing, trying to influence policies. On the other hand, um, if you want to change things, you see that these kind of companies might slow things down. Yeah, then for the next round, do you want to invite them at all? And maybe we should not invite them to. Uh, to uh, that's difficult because then you start excluding uh, parties, um, then you sort of get where we started, then ultimately it might be that companies are forced to do certain things. Yeah, sometimes that can work, but oftentimes it also won't work, or they find a workaround. So in um, that regard, companies are run by people, and people respond like other people, and then you, you might get reactants. Uh, sometimes companies also know things from their own experience, from their own expertise that might be a in, uh, valuable input. Um, but again, it's, it's difficult, so I, I, it, I don't want to um, justify all the practices that, that the, the big food companies are engaged in, uh, but there is another side to the story. That's, uh, yeah.
0: So looking at the economical um, argument and the, the health issue, um, there is also another side to that in the sense that also the, the consequences of unhealthy lifestyle have an economical sure. component. So how does that play a role in this regard? Uh,
1: that's, I think that's an excellent point. Um, because yes, people who are overweight or are obese, they, um, there's a huge economic loss in productivity as a result of that. Um, people tend to be sick more often. Um, it might have uh, also serious health consequences uh, with your heart, with different forms of cancer. But it also highlights, at least for me, that, that there is also an individual responsibility. And I'm not blaming anyone, and let's let be very clear about that, but, but if you think about that, the economic productivity loss um, arises because people are sick, or get sick, and friends don't work, well then you can say, well, there's also responsibility and, and um, a benefit to the companies that these people work at to keep the employees healthy. Well, if you, take the line of reasoning, then you can make the argument, well, maybe employers should take more responsibility, offer healthy food in their canteens, offer room for physical exercise. we only talk about food, but of course, there's a second element to it. For me, at least when you think about the economic productivity loss, if you make that specific, it puts an extra add on to sort of the discussion, because then to say uh, food manufacturers are responsible for economic productivity loss as a result of obesity, for me, is a big stretch. I mean, the, yeah, you could make the argument, but it also immediately, that argument immediately shows that there are other parties, other actors in the system that also have a responsibility. And then you go back to where I started. Um, we make over 200 decisions every day with regard to food, on what we eat, how much we eat, what we buy, where we buy, uh, you name it. Then there are a lot of different environmental factors that influence all of these decisions. And then there's the problem that every decision that I take influences the next decision. So if I add what I mentioned earlier, if I uh, ate a salad uh, as a starter, and uh, then I justify that to then order a big fat dessert at the end. Um, now if you think about that, two decisions that we take all over the place, then it becomes even more relevant to really think about this in a holistic manner that we need to get all people involved. There's no, I personally don't believe in finger pointing. Uh, Who is to, to blame? Yeah, the food manufacturer, but the retailers are selling it. That's true. Yeah, the consumer is buying it. There's no end to that, that discussion. Uh, everywhere where we can acquire food, where we consume food, I think are are actors that need to think about uh, what can they do. And then they sort of need to be ideally sort of a central uh, actor that's sort of in charge of, of directing uh, how the environment sort of evolves. And what would happen if the municipality of Groningen uh, would take... The director stick and basically start talking to schools. What can we do different? Start talking to retailers. What we can do. What can we do different? Um, uh, the horeca, restaurants, etc. Um, uh, what can we do? If you need a director like that, and then collectively figure out. Okay, what can we change in the environment to sort of support consumers make healthier choices, without necessarily taking all the bad stuff away, but at least reducing it a little bit. Uh, yeah, then I think then I think we are in a way that uh, that ultimately will uh, will start making a difference.
0: Oh. Nice. so you you mentioned that you're doing research about that, how to uh, support people in those choices. Yep. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so this is a research project together with Dutch retailers, and the main objective is uh, to figure out what we can do uh, inside a supermarket as, a, as a, what can a retailer do? Uh, to help consumers who are interested in making healthy choices, make healthy choices. And the project um, uh, focuses on healthy choices and sustainability, and we sort of uh, use the Nutri-Score as a starting point. And so one project focuses that can we offer filtering and sorting options when people shop, for instance, online, based on Nutri-Score. So if you want to buy, I don't know, peanut butter, uh, you can sort all the peanut butters that, that are there based on NutriScore and so the, the, the relatively healthy ones show on top and uh, unhealthy ones at the bottom. It's very easy to sort of select uh, the, the healthier version. Uh, another project looks at what happens if while shopping, and when you scan a product, sort of on a display, you get, a, you get feedback on the healthiness of all the items in your mask. So then it's not only about the product on the individual product, it's not only about the label on the individual product, I should say, uh, but it's also about the total compilation of your shopping mask. And that sort of see if these kind of tools can help consumers who are interested to make healthier choices um, by providing them these kind of uh, tools.
0: Yeah. All right. And, and do you have any results? Do you know if it's making a difference?
1: Um, so we have an uh, initial set of results they're not um, they're not published yet but uh, they're suggesting that filtering and sorting options indeed might help consumers uh, make healthy choices but there's, there's a there's a little side note to that and, and the other study on the feedback we actually do see the results that we have so far seem to suggest that people that shop with f- getting feedback uh, ultimately their shopping basket is a little healthier than uh, the people that shop without this kind of uh, feedback yeah. so that uh, that looks promising it's still a work in progress but um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll work
0: on it. Nice. Yep. So, um I'm just wondering um because it's about interested people, so people mm-hmm. that are <laughs> motivated, right, to buy healthy stuff. Um so how about the people that are not yep. motivated or interested?
1: Uh, uh, that's uh, very sharply noticed. Uh, yeah, no, that that is a very excellent point. And um um goes back a little bit to what we st- sort of started with um Roughly speaking, you can say there's three groups of people. One group of people um, is very interested in, their, in, in, in what they eat, and how healthy they eat, uh, and they manage. They, they, they make a study out of it. They make it their life, and they're very motivated. They, they can self-manage. Then on the other end of the spectrum, is a group that basically doesn't care, and they don't want to, um, and that's a very complex one. It's a very complex group, because um, once you start to sort of suggest that they should do better, yeah, they turn off. And so there, um, yeah, we don't do a lot of research in that group, I have to admit. But yeah, one, um, one way of sort of trying to, to change their behavior, sort of, for instance, via product reformulation, that you make existing products a little bit healthier uh, without necessarily changing the consumption experience um, and without them knowing. And you can say, well, that, that's cheating. Well, I don't know. P- companies uh, reformulate the product all the time. And if that is a way to sort of um, uh, also allow, uh, enable these people uh, who are not interested um, uh, to eat a little bit healthier, but that's a very complex one. And and so I, I generally s- try to stay away from smoking because I think smoking and unhealthy eating are definitely similarities, but there are also huge, huge differences. differences. That for me is like answering the question, okay, how do you get people to quit smoking uh, if they want to smoke or if they are not interested in health? It's it's, it's not impossible, but it's it's very, very complex. Um, So in our research, we focus predominantly on sort of the the large middle group that has an interest and maybe not overly fanatic, but also they have at least some interest, um, but who find it difficult. And that holds for a lot of people. That I, I think if, there are very few people in the world that if you ask them, they will say, well, I don't care or I don't want to eat healthy. I think a lot of people want to, but once you're in the supermarket, for instance, or in a the restaurants, then it's, it's sometimes extremely difficult for them to assess if, it's, if and what is healthy. Um, and sometimes it, uh, the, the, we don't know what is healthy. Uh, healthiness is also not only what you eat, but also how much you eat. So it's, it's, a, it's a very complex thing. And that's actually a group where, at least in this research project, we try to sort of, um, yeah, to, to reach out and come up with tools that are beneficial to them, yeah, or for them. Yeah.
0: yeah. And do you know? Um, I mean, I know it's complex and, and difficult to, to know what's healthy and eat healthy, even if you're motivated. Um, but I'm wondering what's what's um, what they experience at the most difficult in that.
1: But I think in the supermarket the problem is choice complexity. You, you go into the supermarket, you need to buy you know, 20, 30 different products. I always jokingly say, in principle, a lot, if not all, the information you need to determine if something is healthy or not is available. However, A, uh, most of us cannot interpret the information correctly or are not motivated enough because if if you would... Imagine buying peanut butter, and you want to buy the healthiest one, and, and, there's no, and the only thing you can go on is the, the small print on the back, um, yeah, that, 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 then you need to pick up three, four, five pots, jars of peanut butter, and then you make a decision, and then you go to the next, and you have, again figure out, and you can say, well, if you really motivate, you can do it at home and figure it out a priori. Oh yeah, of course we can. But most people don't, don't, don't sit down to do that.
0: Yeah, so I, I did have a question about self autonomy and marketing, mm-hmm. um, because it it's a little bit of a um, what's the word? Well, it contradicts each other a little bit, right? Mm. No, well, t- tell me how well, you to go. Th- so <laughs> no, yeah. So
1: it 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 it's a, I think it's an interesting point because it's um, as some people say that marketing can make you buy things that you don't want to buy. That, that's basically what marketing does. Across the board, that is simply not true. I always tell people: if I really would know how to make you do things that you don't want to do, I would not be sitting here. I could make could be out there making a lot, a lot of money. At the same time, of course, there there are in on the edges. There are certain things that that people are influenced um, without them realizing it. But across the board, marketing cannot make you do uh, things that you don't want to do. What marketing does do is sort of really figure out. What you like, what you would like to see, what you like to, what you would like to have, and once we can figure out sort of what you really are looking for in a product or in, in a service or whatever you, uh, then what we're going to try is to develop a product that sort of fits those needs. And if that is successful, you're going to buy. And the problem is a little bit that that often we behave in certain ways, we buy products uh, without really knowing why. And that sounds a little vague, but uh, if you think about it, um, for a lot of decisions, we, we don't know. If I ask you, why do you take pictures? And uh, that's a silly example, nothing to do with food, but it just crossed my mind. Why do you take pictures? People don't know. That's fun. Yeah, but fun has no reason. Ultimately, what, and there's, a, there's a research, there's a study that, that showed at one point that we take pictures because we want to have a sense of immortality. And that's weird, we don't run around saying, oh, I'm gonna be immortal, I'm gonna take pictures. And the same with holds for a lot of decisions in food, but also long food domain, that we make decisions based on a relatively limited set of values that are important to us. And we believe that the products that we buy have the attributes, yeah, what the product looks like or, or, or what it constitutes of, that those attributes offer benefits And the benefits basically satisfy those values. But many, many decisions we take just because we want to be happy, that we want to be accepted, that that we want to feel confident uh, without us knowing. And what marketing does, it sort of try to figure out, so what are the the, the core values and how can we develop products that sort of uh, meet and contribute to those particular values? And that's, um, I think it goes back a little bit to what you said earlier. Could marketing, market products, healthy products, sort of with a sense of it's cool, it's lifestyle, it's stuff like that. I think it can. Now, the question of course is then who does that and, and, and what type of products should work? Because there's a lot of questions you can ask around that, uh, and how to operationalize that. But I, I think it can because it's, even healthy food is not only about health. We don't eat healthy foods to be healthier. I mean, if you think about it, why would we want to be healthy? Then we live longer. Well, that, that is that necessarily beneficial? There are people that basically say, "I want to, I, I'm going to enjoy life to the max," and if that means I live a little few years shorter, then so be it. I think that's interesting to say at least, but it happens. So it, you need to really, really think about so why would people buy uh, in this product category a healthier version? Yes or no? And if you sort of can deliver on sort of the basic values, the basic desires that people are looking for, then I think people will also consume healthy foods.
0: Oh, thank you. So I'm wondering if there are things that we didn't discuss that you maybe think are important to share?
1: No, no, it was nice. I think we <laughs> we sure have sort of touched upon the main topics that I think are important to, uh, to realize. Yeah. No. yeah, I think I'm going to leave it at this.
0: <laughs> All right, great. Well, okay. thank you very much then. It was a pleasure. Likewise.
1: Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing the final result. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Thank you.
0: This was Aletta Talks. For our next episode, we invited two guests to talk about solidarity and the paradox of solidarity in protest and polarization. If you liked this episode, please like and subscribe. For now, I want to thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned and hear you soon.